Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome uh, to those joining us online. Uh, today we're continuing in our, in our series on the one another statements of the New Testament. Uh, we began two weeks ago with the call to encourage one another. And then last week we looked at the call to walk in humility and value or think of others uh, as greater than ourselves. And that call to value or think of one another above ourselves was a call, uh, a call that found its model and motivation in the life of Jesus. It was because of Jesus' love for us and his willingness to put our needs above his own that we are called to think of or value others as greater than ourselves. And it was in his humility and in, in his gentleness towards us that leads us to walk humbly through this life, valuing and lover, loving others. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time on this last week. When we say humility, we don't mean humility as the world often defines it. But instead, biblical humility is having a proper understanding of who we are, who God is, and then in our gratitude for Jesus and his love for us, submitting our will and our preferences to him and others. Humility is not thinking little of ourselves, but it's thinking greatly of God. And out of our love for him, submitting ourselves to him and others. So we are called through our love and gratitude for God, not only to think of our interests, our desires, our preferences, but out of love to defer our desires for the joy and good of others. And so it's with that mindset of humility and love that we come to today. We look at today's one another statement, and it's where we put it into action. Today's one another statement comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, if you'd like to head that direction. And in this passage, Paul is not going to call us to just value others, but he's going to call us to follow in Jesus' footsteps and out of love serve one another. And Jesus modeled servanthood for us as his followers right to the cross. He gave his life as his greatest act of servanthood. Back in 2004, uh, Tim McGraw released a song called Live Like You Were Dying. The song was number one and remained at number one for seven weeks that summer. And if you had all listened to country music, it seemed to be the only song they were playing on the radio during that time. Uh, but this song became special to me because that summer, after I graduated high school, my granddad took me and a couple of cousins on a cross-country road trip where we visited baseball parks, and, and the trip culminated at Fenway Park in Boston. And during that trip, we knew that our granddad had cancer, but we didn't realize the extent and the struggle he was enduring, but he did. And any time that song would come on the radio, which was very often, my granddad would alter the words to tell the story of what he did as he lived like he was dying, which included that trip that we were on. And so if you're not familiar with the song, it's the story of what the singer's dad did when he got the news that he was dying. In his case, he went Rocky Mountain climbing. He rode a bull named Fu Manchu. He loved deeper, spoke sweeter, and gave forgiveness that he had been denying. And all of those are good and fine things. But the thing that blows me away about our sermon series before Easter and Jesus' life is how he always put us first. And how he always lived a life of servanthood. Throughout his whole life, Jesus knew what awaited him. As he set his face towards Jerusalem, he knew death awaited him. But he didn't take a pit stop on his final journey for personal indulgence. He didn't give in to temptation, but instead he healed others, took time for the little children, cared for sinners and tax collectors. And then on the night before he knew he would die, he didn't feast, he didn't indulge, but instead he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. An act of complete humility, love, and servanthood. An act reserved for the lowest of servants. Yet on the night before he would die, Jesus humbly served and washed feet. Jesus' life was defined by servanthood. Servanthood to the point of the cross. We saw that last week in Philippians 2, where Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So as Christians, as imitators of Jesus, our lives should not be defined merely by personal acclamation, personal adulation, personal flattery, or personal fulfillment. Our lives, our means of relating to one another and to the world is to be defined by our love for one another and our service to one another. So we're going to look at Paul's words in Galatians 5, and what we're going to see is that not only is service our call, but it is in service that we find freedom. It is in service that we experience uh, one of the greatest guardrails in our life against pride selfishness and destruction so we're in galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 paul writes you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the example we have in Jesus' life of what it means to serve one another, to love one another. God, we thank you that out of his love and service for us, while we were still enemies of the cross, he went and he died for our sins. God, I pray that as we study this passage, that you would work in our hearts and our minds, that you would grow in us a love for one another and a love for those uh, in the world, and that we would love them and love each other by serving and pointing people to you. God, would you just uh, open our hearts and our minds to anywhere where we need to change or anywhere that you are moving that we need to move. God, we thank you uh, just for who you are. We thank you for your love and your service for us. Into your name we pray. Amen. So one of the major themes in the book of Galatians is the freedom that the gospel provides. And the gospel simply means the message of Jesus, the message that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the message that that none of us are good enough in our own right to earn our way to God, and that no matter how many good things we do, we will still always be separate from God in our sin. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus comes to earth, God incarnate, God in flesh. He lives the sinless life we couldn't live. And then in the ultimate act of selflessness and servitude, he goes to the cross and dies the death that your sin and my sin deserves. Then Jesus triumphs over the grave three days later, and he offers his life, his sinlessness, his righteousness, and his eternal life to any and all that will follow after him. The gospel is that I could not earn my way to God, but Jesus made the way. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is salvation through Jesus alone. But in Galatia, there was a group of Jewish teachers that were going around the church insisting that these new followers of Jesus not only needed Jesus, but they also needed the Jewish law, and they needed the ritual of circumcision to be saved. And so throughout the book of Galatians, Paul is emphasizing the freedom of the gospel and the salvation in Jesus alone. The gospel frees the believer from the rituals of Judaism, and it also frees the believer from the clutches of sin. Faith in Jesus brings true freedom for the follower of Jesus from sin and the futile attempt to earn our way to salvation. Galatians 5, 1 reads, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again, by a yoke of slavery. In Jesus we are free. Free from the slavery of the law and free from the bondage of sin. Yet we like the church in Galatia are always drawn toward the known and the comforts of slavery and sin. 
One author I read this past week described the Christian life or the Christian walk like a narrow bridge over a place where two polluted streams meet. One of those polluted streams is legalism or, or trying to follow all the rules that earn our way to salvation. The other polluted stream is hedonism or the sinful pursuit of pleasure. Now, in the church, we tend to see one of those streams as less, uh, less polluted or less evil than the other, but both are products of the flesh. Legalism fulfills our desire for control, and it puffs up our pride, while hedonism uh, fulfills our desire for pleasure. Yet both lead to destruction in our lives and destruction of our relationships. This, this author wrote, wrote that the individual that experiences Jesus is introduced to the realm of freedom, which is the sphere of grateful and spontaneous living for the glory of God. This sphere of freedom is the bridge in the metaphor over these polluted streams of sin. And the follower of Jesus is invited to roam freely in this new life, delighting in his treasures and making full use of their opportunities for the glory of Jesus. Yet despite this call to live in freedom for the glory of God, our natural instinct, our ingrained sinful nature leads us to turn our freedom into a license of sin. Paul says, don't let your life, your freedom in Jesus lead you back to the slavery and sin, but instead live your life for Jesus and his glory. That's verse 13. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We are not to let our freedoms in Jesus lead us to sin, whether that means the false control of legalism or the false freedom of hedonism. But instead, we are in humility to use our freedoms in this life. To serve one another. So that's our first point. Our freedom in Jesus is a call to serve one another. Out of gratitude for what Jesus has done in our lives, we are called to walk in humility, love one another, and serve one another. And when we serve one another, it helps us to keep a proper perspective of of humility, of gratitude, of love. But when we stop serving one another, when we stop humbling ourselves before God and others, we quickly begin to develop attitudes of self-righteousness, of entitlement, of pride, and selfishness. And so what Paul is doing in this passage here is he's placing service over and against selfishness. He's saying that if you serve one another, the positive of service will outweigh the negative of our natural selfishness. We are all drawn to sin and to live lives of selfishness. But when we serve one another, we place a guardrail up that helps to prevent us from sliding back into sin. If we are in humility and love serving others, it is really difficult for our chest to puff up and our ego to grow. Service is the guardrail in our life that prevents us from sliding back to sin. And I love that concept in the picture of guardrails. Google defines a guardrail as a rail that prevents people from falling off or being hit by something. Uh, A business blog I read on the subject defined a guardrail this way. I like this best. It said, guardrails are designed to keep people from unintentionally straying into dangerous territory. I like that definition. Paul calls us to serve one another because it esteems others. It glorifies God. It follows Jesus' model. But service also serves as a guardrail in our life against our own sinful nature and the temptations of this world. It is really hard to hate your brother and sister in Christ when you are serving them humbly in love. It's hard to hate your enemy when you are serving them in love. It's hard to think of yourself as better than others when you are on your knees serving them in love. It's hard to become entitled when out of gratitude for Jesus' service, you are always looking for ways to give of your preferences for others. It's hard to let the pursuit of prestige and power take over your heart when you are regularly looking for ways to serve others and praise them. It's hard to let the pursuit of riches take control of your heart when you are regularly giving of your wealth to bring God glory and serve others. It's hard to judge others when you're on your knees praying for their souls and serving any way you can. It's hard to cast stones at someone you love and serve. 
It's hard to give in to the temptation of sin when you remember the sacrifice Jesus paid for your soul and the call to serve he has placed on your life. It's hard to abuse and use others for your pleasure and your gain when you are humbly praying for their soul and serving any way you can. It's hard to gossip, tear down, hate, and ridicule that person that you are in love trying to serve. Service is that guardrail that keeps us from selfishness and sliding back into sin. So as you examine your life, where are you tempted to wander? Are you tempted to wander towards legalism, towards rules, towards judgment and criticism? Or are you tempted to wander towards hedonism and the false freedom of sin? This week, take some time to repent of that area that you have strayed into sin and start serving as a guardrail to help you, uh, help you in those areas where you are prone to wander. For example, maybe, maybe for you, you need to serve as a volunteer coach instead of criticizing every coach your kid has ever had. Maybe you need to serve and help pick up your neighbor's yard or help them paint their house instead of complaining about it. Maybe there's a time of the day or a day of the week where you tend to give in to the temptation of sin and you need to fill that time uh, through service and honoring God. Maybe you need to volunteer in your child's class or at school instead of complaining about it. Maybe you need to find ways to serve and grow in your love for that person that drives you just a little bit nuts that you often find yourself criticizing, tearing down, and gossiping about. This week, you serve as a guardrail to guard your heart against sin in your life. So we are called in gratitude for what Jesus has done to live our life humbly, in love, serving one another. And when we do that, it frees us to walk in humility and protects us from the dangers and temptations of sin. So that's our first point. The second thing I want us to see today is that service is motivated by love. Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, serve one another in love. And as you serve one another, you will fulfill the command to love one another. Service isn't an act of duty. It's not to earn a reward. It's not to check off a box. It's not to earn the merit badge of service. We are called to serve out of love. I think that motivation is twofold. We are called to serve out of love for Jesus and what he's done for us. But we are also called to serve out of love for our neighbor. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on this subject in a few weeks when we look at the call to love one another, but we have to spend some time in passing on it just to, to, as we look at service. Service is not done effectively out of duty, but out of love. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and we'll spend a lot of time on it in a couple weeks. But the first three verses read, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul says in verse 3, if I give all that I have to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship in service to others, but the motivation is so that I might gain, so that I might boast, and I do not have love, then Paul says, I gain nothing. Service with the wrong motivation, Paul says, is of no gain. So as we serve one another, we must do so out of love. We give of our preferences, of our comfort, of our time and service for others, out of love for God and out of love for those that we serve. If we don't have love, then we've missed the point. We've missed the joy of serving. In Matthew 22, Jesus had this conversation with the Pharisees and religious teachers. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Our love of God leads us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself without serving them and placing their preferences and wants above your own. So our freedom in Christ leads us to serve. Our love motivates us to serve. And our call is to serve our neighbors and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Luke chapter 10, Luke uh, records the same conversation between Jesus and the religious leader. But Luke records that the religious leader then tries to justify himself. And he asks this follow-up question, the same one we often ask. He says, Jesus, well then who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to that question with a parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, Jesus makes it painfully clear to the religious leader and to us that our neighbor is anyone that we come in contact with, that we live life with, that we interact with, even those that we hate. Jews hated Samaritans in a way that we can't even really comprehend. But the call is not, lo- not hate, but to love and to serve our neighbor. In Matthew 5, 43 through 47, Jesus says this. He says, you've, had, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So Jesus and Paul call us to serve one another in love and to love others as we love ourselves. But that is not a call to exclusively love those that look like us, that believe like us, that act like us, that go to church with us. But that is a call to serve and love all of those that we come in contact with. Even those we would call our enemies. Even those we don't like. Even those who drive us a little bit crazy. At times it's easy to love and serve those who are just like us. And that's kind of a call that we can, we can embrace But for us as a church, we're not called to just love and serve those in the church, but we are called to love and serve those outside of the church as well. We talk about Jesus on his final night before his death, humbling himself to wash his disciples' feet. That's pretty amazing that he would do that. But what's more amazing is that Jesus didn't just wash the feet of the disciples that would stick with him. But he washed the feet of the very man that minutes later would betray him. Jesus knew what Judas was about to do, and yet he got down on his knees and he served him by washing his feet. Even though that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus served him. In that moment, Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart. He knew the betrayal that was coming. Jesus knew the anguish that was coming, the beatings, the scourging, the agonizing walk to Golgotha, the ultimate torture, the cross. Yet even in that moment of humbling himself, Jesus washed Judas's feet. We talk about this, but I have trouble serving my closest loved ones. It's difficult for me to humble myself, to serve, and to put others' needs before my own. But I can wrap my mind around trying to be better at loving those that love me. But it's difficult to even fathom putting a betrayer, a Judas's needs in front of my own. At the same time, when we look at the gospel, when I look at the gospel, I see that, that I am Judas. I'm the backstabber. I'm the betrayer. I'm the one who puts Jesus on the cross. I'm the, it's my sin that put him there. How many times when I look at my life have I turned from God's grace to live, act, be, and do what I want for my own gain and my own selfishness? But Jesus served me by going to the cross. 
And that's humbling because of my own sin, but it's encouraging because of how much Jesus loves me. Even though Jesus knows me, he served me. Even though Jesus knew that you and I would betray him, he went to the cross willingly for you and for me. And it's in that truth, that example, that we too are called to serve and give our lives so that other enemies of Jesus, other sinners like you and me, might experience his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. So that leads to our final point. In love, we are called to serve and share the hope of Jesus with the world. In Philippians 3.18, Paul writes, For as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I love this verse. When Paul looked out and saw those that lived as enemies of the cross, that lived in sin, that persecuted him, he wasn't filled with anger and rage, but instead his heart broke and tears filled his eyes. When you look at the world, does your heart break with tears for their souls, or does it fill with judgment, anger, and hatred? We are called to love and serve our enemies because of how Jesus treated us when we were his enemies. When I was an enemy of Christ, he gave his life for me. That's what Romans 5, 8 tells me. While I was still a sinner, while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. He gave his all for me. Jesus' response to his enemies, to me as his enemy, was to give his life for me and for the world. Now, I don't know if this is the, the right time or the right sermon for this, but this past week, God has convicted me and overwhelmed me with how badly I as an individual we as the global and local church have missed this call, this urgency, this priority, and this mission this past year. On Monday night, I was sitting in my daughter's room as she fell asleep. And I was scrolling through the news, and I came across an article on the spread of COVID in India and its tragic results. The article read that almost 200,000 people have died of COVID in India this past year. Yet tragically, as I read that article, I first viewed it through the political lens of COVID politics. In fact, the Washington Post even had a separate article on the misreporting of COVID deaths in India. Skepticism, politics, and questions filled my mind. And as I got to the end of the article, it was as if God shook me. 200,000 people died this past year in India. It doesn't matter what they died from, it's a tragedy. And it's a tragedy not because they died, but because a simple Google search tells us that at best, at best, 3% of them had a relationship with Jesus as the Lord and Savior. That means 97% or approximately 194,000 people didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the Bible tells us that upon their death, they faced judgment and the consequence to their sin. That's staggering and should break our hearts. And to bring it a little closer to home, that same night I was on YO4 News. Because there's not a ton of news in Sweetwater County, obituaries are always in the headlines. And that night I sat there and I read the obituary of a young man who died far too young. I sat there and I read the obituaries of multiple people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And as I read those, God broke my heart. As I read those obituaries, there was very little evidence or very little to give me hope that any of these people knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Instead, it appeared that they had entered eternity as enemies of God destined to face the judgment of their sins. And when you read the statistics about Sweetwater County, only 5 to 10% of our population at best knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. At best, only 1 out of 10 people in our city knows Jesus as Lord and will inherit eternal life with him when they die. 
And yet the pa- this past year, the global church, the local church, we as individuals, we have spent the bulk of our time, of our attention, of our prayer life worried about politics and divided over COVID policy, personal freedoms, and preferences. I'm not saying those aren't important and that they don't matter, but we cannot let those things as Christians and as a church be our primary focus and our primary mission. I think this past year we have gotten distracted and lost sight of the most important things. Again, I'm not saying those aren't important. They are important. But the great commission and the great commandment Jesus lays out here is not to get our neighbor out to vote red or blue. It's not to defend America. It's not to be right in every debate. It's not even to hold on to Americans' rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. None of those are bad things in their own right, but they cannot be our individual and our church's primary mission and purpose. Our call is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to serve our neighbor, and to share the hope and forgiveness of Jesus with them and take it to the ends of the earth. I know the Lord has convicted me this week that I have spent far too much time and energy this past year worried and focused on second things. Far, much, far too much time and energy worried about temporal things as opposed to loving and sharing the hope of Jesus, my neighbor. And if I have led you in the church in that manner, I am sorry. This has been a year where we have seen the worst of people and the worst of neighbors, and most of it has played out in the public eye of Internet and social media. And no matter what side of the aisle you're on politically, no matter your beliefs on COVID, and no matter your stance on masks, someone has said or written something that has infuriated you, that has caused you to write them off, that has made them an enemy. As I say that, there might be one person or a few people that come to mind, or there just might be a general anger towards those people that view the world or the issue differently than you. Here's the deal. Those people don't need you to change their minds on the issue at hand. Those people desperately need the hope, forgiveness, life, and love of Jesus in their life. And the way we are called to engage those enemies is not debate. It's not through spewing hatred online. It's not by gossiping about them with mutual friends. It's not even by defriending and cutting ties. Jesus calls on us to love them to pray for them and serve them. Friends, we spent way too much time this year worried about the issues and not nearly enough time praying, serving others, and investing in eternity. We've let our personal opinions and feelings on secondary issues come in the way of sharing Jesus. I believe we need to repent of that. This week, take some time and think about how you have used your freedom in Christ this past year. As you look at your prayer life, did you spend more time this year praying for the lost in your neighborhood, in your community, and in the world? Or did you spend more time reading articles that support your views, more time debating issues, and more time worried about your rights? 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes this. Paul says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Paul says he lays aside all of his preferences, all of his rights, all of his everything, so that by all means he might save some. And he does so not so he can earn a reward, but so that he can share in the blessings of Jesus with those that might repent. He says he gives up everything for those that live as enemies of Jesus, so that some might share in the blessings of the gospel. What are you willing to give up so that others might know him? Here's what David Platt said of this verse. He said, what a powerful picture 
What a powerful perspective. When Paul looks at the non-Christians around him, those that are lost in sin, Paul says, I so want them to share in the blessings of the gospel that I already know and have experienced that I will lay down whatever it takes. Jesus laid down his life for you and me when we were enemies, when we were still sinners. The call on our life is not to establish a Christian community or a Christian kingdom on earth. But the call on our lives is to follow Paul's lead and give up our everything so that as many as possible might know Jesus and experience his hope, his life, his forgiveness, as opposed to the judgment and destruction their sin deserves. So this week, think about what God wants you to lay down so the people around you might know Jesus. What are the secondary things you've let get in the way of relationships that God wants you to invest in? What anger and judgment are you holding on to that you need to let go of so there's room in your heart for love and grace? Who do you need to weep for and bring before the Father in prayer faithfully and consistently? Who do you need to share the hope of Jesus with this week? Friends, every day across our world, some 150,000 people die. Most will die not knowing Jesus, and many will die never hearing his name. In Wyoming, 101 people will die every single day. If the statistics are accurate, 80 or more of those 101 will die not knowing Jesus and destined to experience the wages of their sin in hell. In Sweetwater County, our own little county, on average, seven people die each and every day. At best, at best, the statistics say that one of those seven will know Jesus as Lord and Savior when they die. That means every single day, 365 days a year, six of our neighbors, co-workers, friends, community members die without the hope of Jesus in their lives. Friends, you can't hear that. We can't hear that and go on living our lives as normal. We can't go on spending the majority of our time watching Netflix, scrolling Facebook, worried about new cars, new toys, new boats, whatever it is. We as a church and as individuals have been called to give of our lives so that some, so that perhaps a few more than yesterday, might repent and know the joys of Jesus and the joys of heaven. Jesus died not just so that we could be free ourselves, but he died for us so that we could share that freedom with a lost and dying world. How do we respond? First of all, if you don't know Jesus and you're here, you're watching a line, please know that he loves you and that he gave his life for you. And if you will repent and follow him, he is faithful to forgive, faithful to welcome you to his family and to inherit his eternal life. And he doesn't stop there, but he invites you on an incredible journey to know him better, to grow in him, and he gives you a mission for your life that is eternal and greater than this world. So you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If not, would you just humble yourself and follow him? today. You can do that in your seat. You can do that watching online. You can come and talk with me. We'd love to share with you what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, how does your life reflect that? What are those areas that you are prone to wander? Where have you been distracted this past year? Who are you prone to hate, to avoid, and to ignore? Would you first and foremost, would you get on your knees, repent, and ask God to give you his eyes and his love for the world and the people around you? 
as you seek to put that into practice, who is God calling you to serve and love this week? And then how is he calling you to serve? Not just in general, but would you commit right now to serve those around you this week, however God is calling you to serve? We mentioned it, but, but who are you weeping for? Who are you praying for? Who has God put a burden on your heart for? Would you commit to pray for them this week? And not just this week, but for as long as it takes for them that they might come and know Jesus. Where is God calling you to lay down your desires, your wants, your preferences, your rights, so that some, so that some might share in the joy of Jesus in heaven? I'll close this with Paul's words as he calls us to join him in the great commission. May these words become our mindset as individuals, as families, and as church. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I'm going to pray for us as the worship team comes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that while we were enemies of the cross, while we were living in sin, You humbled yourself in love and service, and you went to the cross, and you gave your life on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for whoever it was in our life that at some point shared the hope of the gospel with us. We thank you that you opened our eyes and our hearts to that truth, Lord, and that you gave us the courage to repent and follow after you. We thank you for the hope, the life, the joy that we have in you. God, I pray if there's anyone watching or anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that you might open their eyes and their hearts to their incredible, your incredible love for them. That they might see the need of their sin and their need, uh, their need for you, Lord. Would you move in their life and draw them to you? God, I pray for the many that have known you for a long time. Lord, I pray for the churches across our world and our nation. I pray for our church and my own soul, Lord, that you would shake us from our slumber. That we would see the desperate need around us. God, and that we would join Paul in giving of our lives, of our everything, so that some might come to know you. God, I pray that there would be many in our community, across our county, Lord, that would see your love in our lives, Lord, that you would give us the joy and the privilege of sharing your hope with them, Lord, that they would repent and their eternity would be changed. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to your love for the world around us? Would you help us to be bearers of that? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the love and grace you have shown us. God, I pray that through service, we would show that love and grace to the world around us. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.